<laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, some of you may not know that I'm the director of our traditional worship here at 8.30 in the mornings for those early birds who come to worship in a traditional setting. But I grew up in a little town called Winter Haven, Florida, right there in the middle of Florida, known as the home of Cypress Gardens, or used to be known as the home of Cypress Gardens, now Legoland. But I grew up in a family of four girls. I'm the oldest, and then there's Jane and Carol, and then a few years later, we had baby Christy. And over the years, um, we've tried to get together to spend a long weekend. And two years ago, we had enjoyed time together in the mountains and had relived childhood memories, and it was time to go home. I was the last to leave, and as I was in Jane's kitchen, she began to tell me all the things that I had done to offend her. All that joy that we had shared, gone. I was biting my lip and I couldn't wait just to get in my car and leave. And when I did that, let me tell you what I did in my car. Found all the things that were wrong with Jane. (laughs) She was definitely unreasonable and unfair. I've discovered that Paul addresses conflict in his book of Philippians. He writes that we need to be transformed through unity. He begins chapter 4 with the word therefore. And I've always been taught that when I come across that word, I need to stop and ask, what is it therefore? Paul, it's great to have you back with us again. And we were just beginning to look at chapter 4. And can you tell us, why is it that you use that word, therefore? Well, in the first three chapters, I explain how the gospel, the good news, changes us. God is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to please him. The transformation Jesus works in us gives us the ability to have the same attitude and mind of Christ. We are to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of him because we're citizens of heaven. Everything, I mean everything, is worthless compared to knowing Christ. So hold on to him and rejoice. Yes, whatever happens, rejoice. And don't lose hope as you're waiting for Jesus to return. Pattern your life after mine and learn from those who follow my example. Now, I use the word therefore because of all these truths. I wrote... Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. 
we know, Paul, that the Philippians are your joy, your reward. You say they're like your crown, that crown of leaves put on an athlete's head who wins the race. So why is it that you choose to publicly single out these two leaders in the church? As I come to the end of my letter, I'm very concerned with the news I've received while here in prison. It has been reported to me that two of the leaders in the church at Philippi, Euodia and Syntyche, are in sharp disagreement. This cannot be. Their conflict has the potential to disrupt and bring destruction in the church. They must stand firm and be of one mind in the Lord, striving together as one for the faith. The gospel is at stake. So then what you're saying is these two women have to find reconciliation in order to stand firm. Is that correct? Yes, and nothing would give me more joy than hearing that they have become like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, really thinking like Jesus thinks. Paul, you've given us a lot to consider, to find reconciliation. To stand firm in the Lord is to find unity with each other. Thank you. We're going to unpack that this morning. See, going on the defense and being the strong person is not standing firm in the Lord. Rather, it's when we yield to him, to having the same mind as Jesus, that we can rest in him. Perhaps this is so much on Paul's mind because he remembers his own conflict with Barnabas. Do you recall when they're getting ready for that missionary journey and they can't agree on who to take? So they go separate ways, each taking their own companion. Like Paul and Barnabas, these two women are partners in the gospel. So Paul pleads with them. Because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. What was at stake? The unity in the church. I was not standing firm in the Lord that morning in Jane's kitchen. I had just enjoyed several wonderful days with my sisters. We had relived stories of childhood, done so many fun things. There were so many reasons to be full of joy. But as I drove off, I had no intentions of finding unity. A like-mindedness with my sister, it was easier to drive off and live separate, doing my own thing rather than trying to work out a relationship and be together as one. Sometimes it takes someone to help us find unity. Paul wrote, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. That word true companion in Greek means yoke fellow. That's a person who's trained to drive a harness of two animals that have been yoked together for one purpose. So if these women could not resolve their conflict, 
Paul instructs this companion, this yoke fellow, to help them settle their disagreements. So once again, they can be yoked together for the gospel. As children of God, people who follow Christ, when we resolve our conflicts, we are transformed through unity. And we're able to work together for the sake of the gospel. Now, I had been the last one to leave Jane, so I thought it'd be a good idea to call my sister Carol and tell her everything that Jane had said to me. Boy, was I surprised to find out that when Carol had gone and been with her just alone, she had learned that she couldn't be on her computer doing work in front of Jane. That's all I had done. I mean, I had answered emails, so I kept up with them, so it wasn't so much to do when I came back. Or when we got into cell phone, cell phone service, I'd call home and check in with the girls or with Stace. But Carol had learned in order to find unity, she needed to do her work away from Jane so that when she was with Jane, she could be present. Now she was urging me to do the same thing. When we find unity, Paul writes in verses 4 through 6, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. The first tangible result of unity is that we are full of joy and we rejoice. Do you remember where Paul is when he writes this? He's in prison when he says, Rejoice in the Lord. I will say again, rejoice. Paul had learned to find joy regardless of his situation. When he had been beaten and shackled, what were he and Silas doing? Singing hymns and songs of praise. They rejoiced in the Lord. As believers, we have many reasons that we can rejoice in the Lord. After all, we've been bought with a price. We've been redeemed by Jesus. We're made new creations in Christ. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. And he's given us his spirit to work within us and remake us in the image of Christ. We are part of God's family. He loves you and me. We're special. He wants us to be his own children. And he's given us the promise. He's with us. God with us. We know he will never leave us or forsake us. Like Paul, when we choose to be full of joy, the prison doors of our hearts and our minds are open and our hearts are tuned to sing his praise. We can recount the many things Jesus has done for us is doing continually for us and will do in the future. 
we can rejoice in the Lord. It is our duty and our privilege. I needed to remember how over the years, each one of us, my sisters, we've all come to know the Lord. And in recent years, we've been reconciled to each other. Now I found myself at a crossroad. I could choose to just drive off and live a separate life. I could choose to escalate the conflict. Or I could choose to stand firm in the Lord and find a like-mindedness. And choose unity. There were many reasons I had for joy. I could rejoice. Paul writes, we are to stand firm in Christ, having his mind, so that when we do, we can be full of joy and rejoice. It's interesting to me what comes next. Paul writes, let your gentleness be evident to all. The second tangible result of our unity is we become gentle. Our gentleness is evident to all. When you hear that word gentle, what do you think of? Isn't it something that's fragile that needs special care? Or someone who needs that special loving touch? Jesus modeled gentleness with the adulterous woman. Remember how he received her? Or with Simon the leper, who was separate from society, he touched him. In fact, Jesus showed love, compassion, and gentleness to everyone who came to him with a need. I'm ashamed to tell you that morning, I was not meek or gentle. I was thinking about me. I was angry that Jane was upset at me for my actions. And on the drive home, I kept thinking about my sister Carol and what her actions had been. She hadn't had her computer out. She was never on her phone when we were all together sharing time together. She had modeled Jesus I love my sisters, but I had not given them my full attention, not my undivided attention. I was only partially present, preferring my agenda and what I needed to do versus being with them. What was missing? My gentleness. Followers of Jesus, like my sister Carol, are full of love and compassion. They prefer others over themselves, and their gentleness is made evident to all. Paul goes on and says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. The third tangible result of unity is we do not worry But we pray with thanksgiving. Now, I almost missed this because of those verse numbers. Because verse 5 ends in a period and then starts another that says the Lord is near. Then verse 6 picks up. 
But it's one sentence that begins in verse 5. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Throughout scripture, we hear, I am with you. Be not afraid. Be bold. Be full of courage. I am with you. Jesus spoke to his disciples on that last night and say, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. The answer to anxiety is prayer and petition. Prayer is a broad word that covers all of our communication with God. But petition is a specific direct ask for God to do something. Now, God already knows our needs. But when we pray, he wants us to ask. He invites us to make our requests known. He wants our participation through petition and with thanksgiving. What benefits, after all, come from worrying? We can't change our circumstances. No amount of worry ever brings any positive benefit. God invites us to cast our care on him. We pray with petition and we cast that on him and then we trust him. We let it go. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything with thanksgiving. When we resolve to find unity, we humbly submit ourselves and trust God Now our hearts and our minds are free to give thanks. God loves us. He's working for our good. It is well. So we can thank him and praise him. So far, when we are transformed in unity, we've learned that we are full of joy and we can rejoice. Our gentleness is evident to all. We do not worry, but pray with thanksgiving. So when we're not anxious, but filled with thanksgiving, when we are gentle and yielding to one another, when we are full of joy, then there's a fourth tangible result of unity. Verse 7 says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The fourth tangible result of unity is the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. God's peace is so great, we really don't understand it. Someone once wrote, God's peace was like his smile on the life of a believer. When we work out those disagreements and conflicts, when we find unity and experience God's peace, then we understand what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 14. For he, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus prayed not only for the disciples, but he prayed for us to be one, to know unity. 
His words were, Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The peace of God guards our heart. That word guards speaks of a soldier that's on duty, guarding against the enemy. So God's peace protects our hearts and our minds like that soldier guarding against the enemy. Have you ever seen a rushing river? Causes the big splash. Is it not big rocks that that peaceful flow hits up against? Those big rocks are like our conflicts. It disrupts peace and harmony. It disrupts unity. So when I'm selfish and inwardly focused, when I forget all the reasons I have to be full of joy, when I demand my own way, rather than being gentle and preferring others above myself, when I'm worried and full of anxiety, Rather than trusting God, there's no peace guarding my heart or mind. We are called to model Christ, to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We are called to find unity. Resolving conflict, becoming unified, it's hard work be like-minded, standing firm in the Lord. It's not easy to take up those big rocks of conflict. It takes effort and time to build unity. But Paul doesn't stop there. Now he's going to get down to the nitty-gritty. He tells us, put these things into practice. See, it's not good enough just to know it. We have to do it. He writes in verses 8 through 11, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me, Paul writes, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The fifth tangible result of being transformed through unity is our thought life changes. What we think about is going to show up in what we do. Much of the Christian life really does come down to our mind. What we choose to think about, meditate on, it matters. Paul instructs us to think about things that are true. That means the real thing, genuine, free from error. We're to think about noble things. Those are things worth thinking about. We're to think about things that are right. That means those things that God wants. He says, yup, those things. Things that are pure, 
They are so clean. They're suitable for God. Think about lovely things. Those are beautiful things. Admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Those are suitable for God to hear. How's your thought life? What do you think and ponder, meditate on? Are they noble, right, pure, lovely, praiseworthy? We have to choose to take captive our thoughts. Whatever we choose to think about, that's what we put into practice. Rather than allowing our own desires and opinions or hurts to ruminate in our minds, we must replace them with thoughts that are true, noble, bright, pure, lovely, praiseworthy. And when we meditate on these things, our actions will follow. We will stand firm in the Lord. We're, we'll, we will choose reconciliation. We will find unity. And when we do, we're full of joy, rejoicing in God. And our gentleness is evident to everyone. Our fears and anxieties, they're replaced by trusting God. And giving thanks to him. And the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. Unity is a decision. We choose to put it on, much like we choose to put on a garment. Each of us, if we are really honest, we rub each other the wrong way sometimes. That's our opportunity to put on love and to choose to find reconciliation and unity. Carol helped me understand that in order for me to resolve my conflict with my sister, I had to change my attitude and my mindset. I needed to choose unity and to show God's love. God was calling me to put his word into action. He was calling me to be unified. This past spring, we did get back together. I took Carol's counsel, but I have to tell you, it was hard. I had to continually remember, if I needed to be on my computer, it needed to be in the bedroom. If I needed to do some uh, emails for work, I needed to get up early and do that before our day started together. When I preferred others rather than myself, things went really well. We enjoyed such a wonderful time together, and we look forward to getting together again. So let's summarize what we've learned in chapter 4. When we are transformed through unity, we are full of joy and can rejoice. Our gentleness is made evident to all. We do not worry but pray with thanksgiving. The peace of God guards our hearts and minds and our thought life changes. So our big idea, as followers of Christ, God desires us to be transformed through unity and the result will change us and those around us.
the table before us reminds us of the cost of reconciliation and unity. Before we come to the table, we're going to take a few moments of quiet reflection. In 2 Corinthians, Paul urges us to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. These words are written not just to the Philippians, but to all of God's people, to each one of us here at Montgomery Community Church. Let's ask ourselves, am I standing firm in the Lord? Am I rejoicing in the Lord always? Is my gentleness evident of all? Am I trusting God, presenting my request with thanksgiving? What am I thinking about throughout the day? Are those things true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable? Is the peace of God guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus? The Father wants us to be one with him and one with each other. As our ushers or the servers come forward, the table is a reminder of God's desire for us to be one. But our sin separates us from God and from one another. But God, who loves us, has a solution. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to cover our sins. He paid the debt that we owe. But we must confess our sin. When we do that, he forgives us and washes us clean. When we confess, it means we're saying, my agenda's wrong, and I'm going to put into practice God's agenda. I'm going to choose reconciliation with God. And as believers, we are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation and to find unity with each other. The table is open to all who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Please hold the elements, and when we all have been served, we'll take them together.